Good morning, y'all. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Where our motto is, you're going to help me out, our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Y'all are all over it today. Did y'all have a little extra coffee this morning? Yeah. Met somebody at the coffee pot this morning and said, I only had three cups today. I only had three. Love coffee. I could definitely, you know, two things I need every morning is coffee and Jesus. Pretty sure I could do without the coffee. I could stand it without the coffee, but maybe other people couldn't stand me. Can't make it without Jesus, though. Cannot in any way, shape, or form. Really thankful to have Caitlin up here with us, making her recreate music debut. Good job. Something I've been asked to announce this morning. I will be in trouble if I forget it. We have some flyers on the Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, Shoebox Ministry. They're right up here on this table. The items that we are collecting. Now, a couple of these items, a couple of these dates have, have passed. Um, let's see. Today is the 9th. The 9th and the 16th, it's crafts and activities. And then uh, the 23rd and the 30th will be personal care items. And you can get an idea for that on here. Now, you can also make your own boxes that there's some there's some list up here that uh the complete list i think uh if we don't have it here we will find it for you and you can make your own boxes that's always a fun thing we did with our kids especially when they were a little younger to pick out the stuff that would go in the shoe boxes to go over all over the world and of course the most important thing that would go in those shoe boxes is the message of jesus they'll get a bible in the language that they speak in that area and they also work with them they do something like we would we would call it something like vacation bible school I think that's the closest thing that we would understand in our world to that. They do something like that when they go into these villages and towns to, uh, to share the shoeboxes. So it's a pretty wonderful, wonderful thing. So I am glad that you're here today. Makes me very happy. I had one of those days yesterday that uh, made me really, really, really ready to have church service today. You ever, have you had any days like that before? <laughs> Maybe, if hopefully not this week, hopefully not yesterday. But you'll have those days, and just being around y'all really, really lifts me up. Thank you. Y'all are an answer to prayer. Y'all lift me up. So there's a word that could be applied to what we get together and do on Sundays, what we're doing here. By an accepted definition, people would say we are practicing a religion. What's well, a religion? It's a little harder to define than you might think, but in general, it's a, it's a set of beliefs and practices and rituals. When most people refer to a religion, they're talking about one of the world religions, you know. You know Islam, and Buddhism, and, and um, what are some of the others? Hinduism and Judaism. And you might say, at least by the general understanding and by perception, Christianity, in many cases, is at least treated like a religion, although that's not what it's meant to be. It's no secret these days that more people are identifying themselves uh, no longer as belonging to one of the historic religions. If you read the polls, it's up to maybe like 20-some percent in America that say they're religiously unaffiliated. doesn't mean they don't believe in anything. It just means they're not affiliated with anything at all. But that does not mean that people aren't religious. Human beings are fundamentally religious. It's just not always the way you think. It's just not always in like big C church kind of religion. Nearly everybody has beliefs, 
and practices and values and even some rituals that they would consider of ultimate importance, even if they wouldn't say they're religious. And most people are convinced that if more folks would just think like them, it would be a better place. The world would be a better place. The country would be a better place. Wouldn't you agree that if most folks had as good a sense as you when they were driving, it it would be a better place? Because some of them people drive way too slow. Some of those people drive way too fast. And you're the only one on the road who's driving exactly the right speed. Everybody else needs to get with it. I'd say, hey, be careful pointing to people when you've got to share a ride home with them. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm, I try to be very careful with that stuff. I don't want anybody to have a bad ride home because of something I've set up here. Unless the Lord wants you to have a bad ride home because he's dealing with you. I don't know. I don't know. But most of people think that, hey, if everyone else would think a little more, would believe a little more, would, would have some more values like me, then the world would be better. People say, hey, if, if other people would just embrace the beliefs that I have. Now, they wouldn't call it religion, but it's what it is. If other people would follow my practices, if other people would allow these values that I know are right to influence their choices. If other people would get with the program, if other people would realize that this is a much better agenda for our lives and for our nation, if other people would just support the kind of leaders that I know are the good kind of leaders, then it'd be such a better place. You see, America is still just as religious as ever, it's, but the religion is not so much Islam or Christianity. The religion of America is politics. Because everybody feels like, hey, if people would get on board with my way of thinking, it'd be a better place. Now, should you be thinking about those kind of things? Absolutely. If the Lord has blessed you to live in a country where you have the right to participate in choosing your leaders, you absolutely should. And if you claim to be a Christian, you should certainly look at the teaching of Jesus and apply that and select leaders who will represent your convictions. You absolutely should do that. But here's the, here's the warning I want to issue. Don't make politics your religion but i'm not finished while you're at it don't make religion your religion either people view jesus as the founder of a religion that is not what jesus was jesus spent his whole ministry at odds with the religious people at odds with the religious establishment they, they even had him killed because his priorities were so different. This, this message is Jesus versus the religious establishment. That's what it is. Before I dive into this, I, just, I do want to remind you of this because I saw the slide up there. I'm about to forget a really important announcement. We are having a major prayer meeting this Friday. Major, major, major for us. You know what happens on October 22nd? Recreate Church turns five years old. Most church plants don't make it five years. Hey, I say to God be the glory. We've been through a lot, haven't we, folks? Some of y'all been around since since it was my living room and every other place, you know, and the, we, the high school and the, the senior citizens center and um, the, ho- what, the hotel over here, hotel conference room. And, and we've been here for a while. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to drag anything in and out. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. Except for a few things on Sunday evening. We've been through a lot, but now we need the Lord's leadership of where we go from here. 
Because I would love to tell you that, yes, I have a perfect, amazing plan for years 5 through 10 in the history of Recreate Church. But the Lord has not told me what to do from here. So I'm hoping that we'll get together and we'll pray. Y'all know how we've always done this. We've never had committees. We've not really had boards in the sense. We have prayer meetings. We don't have business meetings. We have prayer meetings because that's what we see in the New Testament. So we're going to get together and we're going to pray. That will be this Friday at 6.30 p.m. right here. I want you to understand this isn't the sort of prayer meeting where we say, hey, this person's got something going on with their their health. Not that that's not important. We'll pray about that maybe after. This is more like, okay, Lord, lead us, guide our church, show us what's next, give us the way forward. That is what it is for. So now let's get into a story. Y'all like stories about Jesus? I love stories about Jesus. So Jesus did not come to offer more religion to these already religious people. He's offering something greater. And we're going to get a glimpse of that in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Most of this, I'm just going to tell it like a story, and we'll pick up some verses that we'll read directly. So, one day Jesus goes to the local synagogue. A synagogue, of course, is the place where the Jewish people came together and worshipped. It was kind of like a local church, or really, a local church is kind of like a synagogue, because synagogues came first, and a lot of what we do is modeled after the old school synagogue service from back in the day. In the congregation that day, there was a man with a withered hand, the scripture says. Men's his, his hand, either by birth or from some sort of accident or injury, his hand was, was drawn into a claw and he couldn't really use it. His, his hand was messed up and he, he could not get any use out of it at all. Now, it's never going to be easy to go through life with a hand that does not work. Or with any part of your body that's not working as it should. However, in that day, it was a lot more difficult than it would be now. There was, there was not the social safety net. There were no government programs for this sort of thing to help people. There was not really any medical options there. And most of the work in that day was manual labor. Manual meaning by hand. And if you only had one good hand, it would have been very difficult for you to find a job. And unless you could find some sort of gainful employment that you could do with one hand, and that would not be much, you're in a lot of trouble. You might be reduced to being a beggar. And far worse than that was some of the cultural assumptions they had. Maybe we're not so different when we think about it. In that culture, if you had some sort of serious physical issue... There was this thought that might not be spoken aloud, but it was like implied that maybe you did something to deserve it. That it was because you were a bad person that God allowed you to have this issue. Even if you were born with it, because they believed that a child could commit a sin in the womb. Or of course, the, or the sins of the, the parents could be visited on the children. And, and uh, certainly the consequences of parents' choices will affect children. But the thought was, if someone had a chronic illness or disability, maybe there's something a little wrong with them. Maybe they've had, maybe they were bad. So they weren't always viewed with compassion. They might be viewed with suspicion. Now, imagine you're already dealing with this thing. You've got a hand that you cannot use. And then people look at you funny and think, well, what did he do to deserve that? He must have been bad. They made assumptions about this man. It was easier to assume he was suffering for his choices than actually get to know him. 
Is it so different today? It can be easy to assume things about people's lives before you really get to know them. So you might want to get to know people before you make any assumptions. Hey, you might get to know them and you might find out, okay, they have made some choices, but we still are compassionate. So the religious establishment, the Pharisees in this case, had their eyes on this man. Not only because they didn't like the looks of him, or they thought, ooh, what's, what was his story that he ended up like this? But also, he want, they wanted an opportunity to accuse Jesus. Now, we see these Pharisees again and again and again, right? They're just all over the place in the Gospels. And the word Pharisee today has a negative connotation. A Pharisee would be someone who's like holier than thou and self-righteous and all that. But in that day, these people were very well respected. These were the, the people that everyone else looked up to spiritually. And it was only really after Jesus showed, showed that, hey, wait a minute, y'all are missing some real things. Y'all are missing the heart of this, that people began to see Pharisees in a different light. So, given what we know about Jesus, if he's going to encounter this man with this withered hand, what is likely to happen as this man comes to Jesus? Jesus is going to heal him. We would expect that. The Pharisees expected that too. They were kind of hoping for it, but not for the right reasons. They might have even put this man in the congregation as a plant that day so they could run a little Dateline special style Chris Hansen sting on Jesus. Oh, is he going to heal this guy? Because they wanted to bust him for it. And you're going to say, wow, bust him for it? That's dumb. Healing is a good thing. Uh... Jesus healing this guy would be a great miracle. Wouldn't that prove his power? Wouldn't it change the man's life for the better? And all that is true, but there was a catch. If Jesus healed the guy on this day, it would break the religious tradition of the Pharisees. It would, it would violate an important religious rule, at least in the interpretation of the establishment. Because this day was the Sabbath day. That's the day God commanded the Jews to set aside their usual activities. You're supposed to take a, take a day off from your normal job on the Sabbath day. They weren't supposed to go shopping. They weren't supposed to do housework. They weren't supposed to do yard work. This is getting better all the time for me. They were supposed to prepare enough food on the day before so nobody had to cook. Does this sound like a problem to y'all? We get to take the day off. Nobody's got to cook. Nobody's got to wash any dishes. and Nobody's got to do any yard. This is, this is pretty good. Surprisingly, it was not initially given to the Jews as a day of worship, of congregational-style worship. That wasn't part of the original Sabbath commandment. It was really more about rest. The, the tradition of coming together as a group to worship that began during the Babylonian captivity, which we talked about when we were in the book of Daniel, because they were far from the temple, and they were separated from their people, so Jewish families would get together. That's when synagogues were invented, too. And they would come together and worship on the Sabbath day, and that seems pretty consistent with the principles we see about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day for, for resting and for spending time with family and with God. Sounds great. That's a good thing. 
That's a really, really good thing. I th- how life-changing would it be if we honestly did that? That we took a whole day every week and just spent it with the most important people in our lives and with God. And you're going to say, well, don't we do that on Sunday? Okay. <laughs> okay, buddy. Let's, we'll, let's look at your calendar and see what's going on on Sunday. There's usually a lot going on on Sunday. But, you know, it would be wonderful. And you need to carve out that time. It may not have to be a specific day of the week. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's not quite the same thing as a Sabbath. I'll do another message on that some other time. But we do need to carve out that time. So our lives get filled up with stuff. And we don't always make time for what matters most. It's not really a new thing for this command from God to get lost in the shuffle, to take time for rest. Even in Jesus' day, when the Sabbath was viewed as incredibly important, it had been transformed into a day that was more about, it was less about rest and more about restrictions. So what's kind of that basic idea of the Sabbath that you're supposed to not work? Well, the rabbis started spending a lot of time figuring out what counted as work. Some of it is like, oh, come on, come on, guys. All right, you, they, added, they took the good command of the Scriptures and they added a bunch of nitpicky regulations. Like, they said, okay, well, you can only travel so far on the Sabbath day. Well, how far? Well, they decided about 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 feet, something like that. That's as far as you can go. It's about 1,000 steps from your house. But they also said, but you can only go 1,000 steps from home, but... If you have like a temporary shelter set up, that kind of counts as a temporary house. You could chill out in that for a while. And then you can go another thousand steps. So if they were smart, they had like some temporary shelter set up like every thousand steps. See, see there, does it sound like they're really trying to rest or is it just trying to see what they can get away with? They had regulations on how much you could carry or lift on a Sabbath day, and for some reason they decided that you could lift no more than the weight of a dried fig. What does a dried fig weigh? I don't know. Can we, what is, what is the unit of conversion from dried figs to fig newtons? Because I understand that one. I understand fig newtons. Those are good. Why are they so good? I don't know. I don't think I've ever had a fig in my life that was not encapsulated in a lovely newton. So maybe they're great. So they said, um, what if it's a big dried fig, though? See, this is the thing. It's, it's really nitpicky. Um, if you see this, the Jewish Sabbath was from sunset to sunset. That's the way their days ran. So if you messed up and put on like a heavy coat right before sunset, you couldn't take it off until the next sunset because that would be considered work what kind of coats were they wearing that it took that much work i have never been that fashionable in my life to have to have a coat that required work to get out of i just get tangled up in the bed sheets anyone else have trouble with that you try to get out of bed and hit your alarm clock it's like i'm fighting all this stuff katie got this like soft thing you put on top of the bed it doesn't make the bed a lot softer but you're like wallowing in a very undignified way like a buffalo in a mud hole trying to get out of the bed that's work I couldn't get out of bed. This Sabbath starts to sound better all the time. Just lay in bed. I can't, honey, I can't get out of bed today. The Lord said so. Yeah, I don't think that'll fly. Um, 
on the Sabbath day, get this. Now, hey, this isn't my rule, so nobody hurt me. Some of the rabbis said a woman could not look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because she might see a gray hair and want to pluck it out, and that would count as work. Um, according to tradition, you, you couldn't climb a tree, swim, clap your hands, or dance on the Sabbath. Now, what does that really have to do with resting and spending time with God and the most important people in your life? But, you see, the very good thing that God had given them was twisted and corrupted into something unrecognizable. And that is exactly what happens when you reduce true connection with God to a mere religious practice. You start making up a list of rules and, hey, how far, what can I do? Let me see, what kind of loopholes can we find here? And that's never what it was supposed to be about. And Jesus is really helping them to see that here. The the religious gurus on this particular day, they wanted Jesus to heal the man, but not because they really cared about him. They wanted to bust Jesus for breaking one of these Sabbath traditions. They wanted to drag him before the council. They counted healing, even miraculous healing, as work. Now, we're about to see Jesus heal this man, and it don't look like work to me. But that's the way they counted it. Jesus knew what they were what they were up to. See, that's advantage of that's the advantage of being God incarnate and being able to read minds. You know what people are up to. He knew what people are up to, and he could have very easily made arrangements to meet the next day and heal the man. But instead, he's going to face their accusations head on. They wanted to test Jesus, but he's going to turn the test around on them. He told the man with the withered hand to step forward. Then he turned to the religious leaders. And let's read what he said in Mark 3, 4. Mark 3, 4. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. The traditions of the religious establishment said it was wrong to help this man on the Sabbath day. That oh, Something sounds off-kilter with that already, doesn't it? Certainly. Jesus showed him it was wrong to not help this man. Who desperate, if, if you can't do good for someone who desperately needs it because a religious tradition forbids it, might want to go back and look at that religious tradition. Some of them may be wrong there. Now notice, Jesus did not challenge the Scriptures. He didn't challenge the Word of God. He challenged all the traditions and regulations they had tacked onto the Scriptures. That's a lot of the problem, folks. I'm convinced that a lot of the stuff people are mad, of, mad about, about church and about faith and about Christianity, they ain't even mad about the real thing. They're not mad. They're mad like, hey, that church said I didn't have the right kind of clothes. I've seen that happen. That, ain't, that is not a matter of spiritual truth. That's why our dress code is very, very simple. Some of y'all know our dress code, and I thank you for abiding by it today. Our dress code is super simple. It's two words, wear clothes. It would be, it would be nice if these clothes cover most of what you got going. If you... And it'd be really nice if it didn't have, like, the F word across the front. I mean, we'll hook you up. We got some Recreate t-shirts coming. New round of t-shirts coming, so we'll hook you up. We'll, you know, I'll trade shirts with you. I'll turn it inside out, and I'll wear it, because nobody's going to say anything to me, probably, <laughs> to my face. Um, 
and then we'll you, it'll be it'll be fine. Anyway, so a lot of things that people that keep people away from church ain't really stuff that matters. It's meaningless things. If if we're gonna if people are gonna have a problem with believing, it should be because they cannot accept biblical truth, not because something environmental or social made them feel uncomfortable. So. The Pharisees were smart enough to keep their mouths shut. I'll give them that kind of credit. They, did, they didn't say anything. What Jesus did next might surprise you. Jesus looked around the room and he was mad. He was angry. Now, if you grew up with the Sunday school version of Jesus, it's kind of hard to imagine Jesus being mad because he's always looking so serene and he's, for reasons unknown to me, petting a lamb. I don't see any scriptures that talk about him petting a lamb. I don't know. Maybe he did. He was a carpenter. So he probably had like a saw that he carried. I don't know. Or a hammer. I don't know. If Jesus carried a hammer around, does that make him Thor? Nah, he's a lot better than that, y'all. Forgive me, Lord. I should not have made that joke. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like Larry the Cape guy up here. Lord bless the pygmies. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> anyway, um, it's hard to imagine Jesus being angry, you know, except for those couple of times he turned some tables over. But beside that, he sounds like a pretty chill guy. But in this instance, he was angry, and it was right for him to be angry. We don't always get that. We have a problem with anger in our culture on both extremes. We have this idea that a believer should never be angry about anything. Never be angry. Then we have the other extreme of Christians who seem to be angry at everything all the time, forever. Righteous indignation is the much nicer word for it. These days, we live in a culture where everyone seems to be, or lots of people seem to be angry about something, like on social media, ranting about something that's going on. And, 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 and we might say, ah, oh, those people, they're just, they complain about everything. But, you know, religious people have certainly taken their turn in ranting about stuff. Here's the facts. If you're angry about for the wrong reasons, it's wrong to be angry. Like, if you're angry with selfish or misguided motives, like um, someone beat you to the last rotisserie chicken at Food Line, I know that feeling. I know that pain. I've seen, I've been there. I've been there. Bro, we're. Shared suffering, Billy. That's what we do. We, we're brothers in our suffering. Someone beat us to the last rotisserie chicken. Probably, probably should not get that mad about that. Um, you know, probably shouldn't. If you're mad because someone insulted your haircut, eh, probably shouldn't get mad. Oh, a fun thing to do, if you see someone crying, ask them if it's because of their haircut. That's a fun thing to do. Throw that in there, bonus. <laughs> then they'll get mad at you. But there's the wrong, if someone, if you feel like someone hasn't given you the proper respect, and I know, like, hey, I'm not going to let people disrespect me. Well, Jesus kind of did several times. There's the right time. There's the right time to demand respect. A lot of the times we're angry, it's because we don't need to get angry. That's why I didn't watch the football game last week, because I didn't need to get angry. And I looked at the score, and I realized I would have gotten angry. Billy talked about it. He said he, said he got angry, and it ain't even his team. He got angry on my behalf. That's how much Billy Honeycutt loves his preacher. He got mad, he got mad on my behalf, and I'm very thankful. 
for him. But I didn't even watch it because I knew what would happen. Now, some of y'all who root for that team, I know who you are. I know who you are. So the other team, the one that won, not my team. Anyway, so there is a wrong time to get angry. And probably a lot of the time when we get angry, we probably shouldn't have been angry. But there's a right time to be angry, too. There are times where it would be wrong to not get angry. It would be absolutely wrong to not get angry when you see someone being mistreated and they cannot fend for themselves. That should make you angry. If you see a child being neglected, that should make you angry. Absolutely. And there's even some times when when God's name is being dragged through the mud, it, it should bother you. It should now, hey, God can God can fend for his own name, yes, but it should bother you. That should be upsetting. That particular day Jesus was angry at the hardness of their hearts. These Pharisees, the religious establishment, proudly proclaimed to be the representatives of God. Yet they did not care about this man. They were ready to accuse Jesus for helping him because Jesus adhered to the word of God instead of their tradition. The religious establishment was okay with the suffering of this man so long as their tradition was intact. Jesus was not okay with it. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. Imagine being this fella. I mean, he's got to know there's something going on here. He's he probably feels the tension in the air and he knows that there's he's stuck in the middle of something that's bigger than him. I'm not so sure that these Pharisees didn't bring him there that day for this purpose. Maybe they did. He, he probably knows that they're trying to get a gotcha on Jesus. But he must have also been desperate for healing because this has affected his life. It's impacted his life for maybe years, maybe his whole life. How many thousands of times had he wished that his hand would straighten out? Had he prayed that his hand was straight now? And now is it, is it going to happen? So Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And to his astonishment, it stretched out. And it's restored as whole as the other. It's a tremendous miracle. And you might expect the Pharisees to be so impressed. Hey, well, maybe we got this wrong. I mean, this is obviously the power of God. But they were not impressed. They were angry now because Jesus healed the man. What does verse 6 say? Verse 6 Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Instead of learning from Jesus, instead of humbling themselves, instead of recognizing that this is obviously something from God, the Pharisees dug in their heels and plotted to kill Jesus. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he proved them wrong. And somehow they felt justified in that. Now, they were upset if someone lifted two figs on the Sabbath day. But it was cool with them to take the sixth commandment. You'll know that one. You shall not kill. And break that one. They were okay with that. They were okay with breaking the express word of God rather than breaking their tradition. And if you, ever, if you think religious people never, no longer put their tradition over the word of God, then you don't know enough religious people. And we better be careful about that too. 
that we could put our traditions or our ideas or our concepts of how things are supposed to be above the actual word of God. These Pharisees even joined forces with the Herodians. We don't hear a lot about the Herodians in the New Testament, but they were one of another, another group of the Jewish leadership, kind of like the Pharisees, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Herodians were Jewish people who um, worked together with the Romans. The Roman Empire controlled everything at the time, and most of the, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, couldn't stand the Romans, but the Herodians are like, hey, man, this is, might as well work with the people in power. And they, they, they um, wanted to use those political connections, and they gained their own power there. Normally, these two groups hated each other, hated each other so much. The Pharisees were highly religious and highly nationalistic. The Herodians were more secular and more willing to work with the Romans, and yet they're working together here. It's interesting to me. I may get myself in trouble for this. So I'm, I prayed over this. I promise you I did. So if you beat me up. You better catch me because I'm faster than I look. Um, it's interesting how people all over the political spectrum will claim that Jesus is on their side. When in his own day, he like ticked everybody off all over the place pretty equally. He had too much grace for folks like the Pharisees and too much truth for folks like the Herodians. He, he upset everybody. Both of them were ready to kill Jesus the Herodians in the name of political expediency and the Pharisees in the name of religion. So I get it. I get it. You know, I talk to people all the time. I get it when people are leery about religion or leery about church. That's why we do what we do, right? You know, we're the church that's thinking about the people who have reasons to be leery about it. And that's why we try to love people a lot extra. I get it. Lots of bad things have been done in the name of religion. And even in the name of church, in the name of Christ, suicide bombers and genocidal maniacs both claim religion as their justification. That's a problem. Historically, empires have claimed a divine right to conquer one another in the name of God. There have been periods of history where the church, quote, the church, and this is in quotation marks because we're talking about something different. There's been a histories when, when the church was more of a political movement than a spiritual movement. There have been parts there. So I, I want you to hear this, please, and please hear it with an open heart. So much of what has been done through the years in, in the name of Christ and in or by, quote, the church had a lot more to do with human greed and human cruelty than anything to do with Jesus or the true church. So if you're talking about, if you're saying the church did this, the church did that, and what you mean is a political movement, then that, that uh, pursuing financial gain or political power or even just as religion, man, we're not talking about the same church. That's not the church that we want to be. We are the church. We want to be the church that Jesus founded. That's not about earthly power so much as it is about transforming lives. Hey, you want to change the world? Let's change some lives. Let's get some people saved. Then we'll, That'll impact our country very much. And you might see some changes in, in laws and things. Listen, just because, just because somebody has church clothes on, doesn't mean they know Jesus. Just because somebody has church clothes on or clerical robes on doesn't mean they really represent Jesus. You've got to listen to what they say and where they're coming from and what they believe. The Pharisees were considered the most religious people in the whole country. Everyone looked up to the Pharisees. But this story and many others shows they didn't really know God nearly as well as it seemed. Jesus did not come into the world 
offering more religion. They had religion. The Jewish religion was, compared to the pagans around them, a super good religion. They didn't sacrifice anybody to the sun god or to Baal. That's good, right? That's a bonus. Yes, absolutely. They were plenty religious. They had religion. They had a lot of elaborate ceremonies. They had a lot of elaborate rules. It was, it was a good religion. Jesus offered something religion couldn't provide. Jesus offered a true connection with God. And what's his reward for it? Now there's an open plot to kill him. From this point forward in the Gospels, keep in mind as we continue through the book of Mark, from this point forward, the religious establishment has decided to kill Jesus. And they're eventually going to catch him, and they're going to put him through a mockery of a trial, and they are going to crucify him. But not yet, because his time had not yet come. He still had things to do. So what did Jesus do? He left town. He very wisely left town. And a big crowd of people came out to follow him from all over Israel, even places from like Tyre and Sidon and over in Edom on the east side of the Jordan. People from outside of Israel came to follow him. The religious establishment hated Jesus. But the kind of people who were left out of the religious establishment tended to love him. He associated with a lot of people whose lives were a mess. That was their biggest criticism against him. Jesus is hanging out with these sinners, with these people who, you know, with these prostitutes and with these tax collectors. That's who Jesus is hanging out with. He must be like them. But he wasn't. See, it's funny. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who wouldn't feel welcome in religious circles felt welcome around him. And it's, it's long been a thing that, that there are people who would feel unwelcome in a lot of church services. I can't vouch for what goes on in a lot of places, but I can tell you this, we're We've tried from the beginning to try something to build something very different here. Um, to love people more than we love our traditions. If you look in one of our brochures and you look down about the middle of that identity statement, it says, um, "We believe reaching people is more important than our comforts and preferences." And that's who we are. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. We're going to have to hang out with some people whose lives are a mess because deep down we've got our mess too i'm convinced a lot of people who have given up on church given up on faith or given up on belief what they've really given up on is religion and religious people they haven't got a chance to know the real jesus yet and that's what we want to show them and that's what I, that's what I want all y'all to see too, the real Jesus. Now, if you see the real Jesus and you decide, hey, this is not for me, that's another matter. I mean, we're 100% on Team Jesus up in here. We want more than anything to introduce you to Jesus. We, we want you to get to know him because we really, not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. For gonna, we don't even pass a plate. Have y'all noticed that? We've never passed a plate in the five-year history of the church, not one time. Because people are like, oh, they just want our money. No. We're paying our bills. We're fine. We don't want your money. We want your heart. We aren't here to make people religious. We're here to introduce people to Jesus. If you want to know more about Jesus, that's, that's what we're about. Jesus loves you so, so much. So much. He wants good things for you. Transformation for you. Not just more rules, but a new beginning. A new start. 
freedom, forgiveness. That's what Jesus wants for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, you know this message goes out in this room and through our short-range radio broadcast to some people sitting out in their car right now and to people all over the world through the podcast. And I just, I just got to think there's somebody out there who really needs to know Jesus. And I pray, I pray for each and every one of us that we'll get to know Jesus better and better. I pray for folks who've been discouraged by religion or by religious people that they would get to know Jesus. I pray you will put people in their lives who can introduce them to Jesus and and I hope I get to be one of those people. God, thank you so much for sending your son not to just give us more religion or more rules but to give us a true connection with you. And I praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being a part of this and I hope you all come out to the prayer meeting. This is Friday at 6.30, and we're going to do some serious, serious praying. Uh, It's not like we'll probably, I don't know if we'll pray all night, but we'll just pray until we're done. We'll pray until we're done praying. How about that? That's all I can promise you. God bless you all. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week, and hopefully see you Friday.